I want to have a word of prayer together with you, and then we can uh, get into our study here this morning. So please kneel with me if it's possible for you to do so. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we thank you so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you, uh, Lord, that we can come apart uh, from the cares of this world our, and our lives and, and we can come together and worship Thee and spend time with each other and gain a tremendous blessing. Father, we thank You so much for caring for each one of us. You provided our needs. Uh, I think if we really look at it, more than our needs. And we praise You for that. You provided us with the opportunity for salvation, eternal life, through sending Your Son to this world. Show us how to live a righteous life, a life that is pleasing to You, and to die a death we deserved. He took our sins upon Himself. Father, this is a time of year around the world where they think of the birth of Jesus. And we have opportunities uh, this time of year like no other to reach people uh, with the truth of the gospel. This is a time of year where more people are willing to take you know, gifts or books and I, I pray that you help us, Lord. Help each one of us to be a witness for Jesus. To share the truth with them about the law, your law, about your character exemplified in your law. Help us to be good witnesses that people may see Jesus in us and we have a love for one another as Jesus has for us. Father, we thank you so much. We ask forgiveness for our sins. We claim the blood Jesus shed for us. And we pray. You pour out the Spirit upon us that we may come into such unity that Satan trembles. And we can finish this work, Lord. We can save souls. And Jesus can come. Please be with me this this morning as I bring the Word to the flock. I pray that you give me insight. Give me the wisdom that is needed to share this truth. I pray that hearts will be softened, especially as I speak uh, to the men, uh, primarily. That these principles are eternal principles. And so I pray that all are willing to listen and study for themselves. Lord, I know that there are many families that are um, divided. And so I pray that this will help. This truth will help to bring families together and that they will be one in the kingdom. Thank you so much for those who have uh, shared their praises and shared their prayer requests. I pray that you be with them. Be with all those that are on our, our prayer list. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. I thank you for hearing this prayer. So I pray it in the blessed name of Jesus, who's so worthy. Amen. Well, friends, it's been a while. We've been talking about principles of gospel order, where it's to begin. We learned the last time a few weeks ago, maybe it's been a month ago, I'm not sure, uh, that... Gospel order begins with the individual, begins in the home, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed 
and how the Word of God continually opens our mind to greater insights, no matter how many times we may read the same Scripture uh, over the course of our life. Do you find that to be true? Has that ever <laughs> happened to you? Is that your experience? You know, you can read the Gospels and every single time you'll find something. God is teaching us continually, friends. And it's just amazing to me how it continually does this. It opens our minds. And such is the case for me, and I hope for you, with our subject today. And, and as we've studied about organization, proper gospel order, uh, we have learned that it must start with the individual first of all. And without a personal walk, beloved, with the Savior. A personal walk each day. We can be assured of failing to be properly organized as a greater body of people, as God would have us to be. We've learned that this personal order will have a ripple effect throughout the home, bringing the family circle into better order. And then what's going to happen, friends, is that will ripple through the church, bringing better order to the church. And a well-ordered family, we've learned, will do more in the spreading of gospel truth than any sermon ever could. You see, friends, we're a walking epistle. People hear us more, not from what we say, but how we live. I've been in awe, really. I've been in awe at how God will repeat in different ways. Uh, the truth about His character, the truth about His government. I've been drawn uh, in the last few weeks to two particular statements repeatedly as I've been studying the subject of organization. I just can't get past the importance, I guess, friends, of what's being said to us concerning the family unit and gospel order that is given in these two statements I'm going to share with you. The first is from the Adventist home. Well, they're both from the Adventist home. The first is from page 306. And we read here, There is need for constant watching that the principles, and that's what we're talking about here, we're talking about principles. There is need for constant watching that the principles which lie at the foundation of family government are not disregarded. The Lord designs, and here's, here's the strong statement here in this first one. The Lord designs that the families on earth shall be symbols of the family in heaven. Did you catch that, friend? The Lord designs it. He designs that the families on earth, His Christian families, those devoted to Him, shall be symbols of the family in heaven. And she says, and when earthly families are conducted in right lines, and that's what we're studying now. We're going to study what these right lines are. What are these right lines? Because we want our family, I want my family to be conducted in the right line. Do you? You want your family to be conducted in the right line? So she says, and when earthly families are conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit will, that wasn't me barking, will be brought into the church. So you see the principle there? God designs that our families here will be symbols of the family in heaven. 
And that same sanctification that's taking place in the family here that symbolizes that family in heaven, that uh, when we conduct our family in the right lines, which we want to learn, that same sanctification spirit is going to be brought into the church. So that's what I mean by it'll ripple, see. As an individual who accepts Jesus Christ in his family, Jesus begins to teach that individual those teachings, his behavior is going to have a ripple effect within his family. Now, his family may reject it, or his family may accept it, but it's going to have a ripple effect. And the same can be said when a family becomes that symbol on earth here of that family in heaven, when it's conducted in the right lines, it's going to have that ripple effect, you see, into the church. And and the church is either going to accept it or reject it. (laughs) The organization, particular organization, whether it's a home church or a denomination, whatever, see. This this is a powerful statement. So as, as you contemplate this statement, I mean, I just can't get past the importance of what's being said here and the parallel. So it's very important to understand the family unit, don't you think? God's ideal for the family unit. And, and like I've said before, when we, when we learn God's ideal for the family unit, it gives us great insight into how the church is to be organized. Here's the second statement from the Adventist home. It's page 319. In the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. Boom. Let that sink in. In the home. So friends, we sit here uh, and people, and, and, and there are ministries that have devoted themselves on attacking, you know, organizations, <laughs> you know. And, and, and as human beings, we, we tend to, not that we all do by the grace of God, praise God, we tend to not look at ourselves as being the problem, we tend to look at others as being the problem, don't we? Isn't that true? And here this statement, in the home the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. Well, what does that tell us? If the church is in a fallen condition, that tells us something about the families in that church, doesn't it? She says, in the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. The influences that rule in the home life are carried into the church life. Therefore, church duties should first begin in the home. So you see these two statements, put these statements together, and friends, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of statements just like these. And speaking about organization, and it begins in the home. Now, what you have in the home will be reflected in the church. And so what we want to do, we we want to conduct our families in the right lines, as she puts it, according to what God has laid out in His Word. And when we begin, we learn these right lines, and we begin to make the changes in our families that are necessary, let me ask you a question. You think God's going to bless that, or is He going to curse it? We're going to see tremendous blessings, are we not? And then that will ripple out into the church, into the world, 
will gain a greater influence, reach more souls, friends. This is just extremely important. I, I can't emphasize how important it is. And so as I've contemplated, you know, the last few weeks, what is being said here, I've come to realize uh, more than ever, I think, that our disorganization as a people of God has as its foundation, like I mentioned just a second ago, our disorganization in the family circles within the faith. Our lack of love and unity in the family is the root, beloved, of disorganization. And with disorganization, you know, God is not the, the God of disorder. <laughs> the devil is. And so who's gaining, who's, who's, who's winning the battles if we're disorganized? The devil is. And i got to ask, why is there such a lack of love within our families? And when I say love, I mean more than the, you know, the, 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 the physical, you know, the emotional kind. I mean godly love, agape, charity, esteeming others better than ourselves. Well, the, the reason that there is a lack of that, why, I mean, why is it lacking in families? It's due to our eyes being drawn away from Christ to issues basically of selfishness. Isn't that true? So, my friends, I try to encourage you and try to encourage everybody to keep looking up. Keep looking to Jesus. Because when we draw our eyes off of Jesus, remember, you know, Jesus walking on water and Peter jumps out of the boat and he's doing just fine till he turns his eyes off of the Lord. And that's when we run into problems. And the devil knows this. And he throws out all kinds of obstacles. He throws out thousands of distractions. We talk about our youth today. You know, with the advancement of technology, it's a two-edged sword. It can be used for great things to reach souls for the kingdom, or it can be used for great evil. And there are so many distractions for all people today. And the temptation is to take our, our mind off of our walk with the Lord, take our eyes off of Jesus. And because of that, the our love wanes. Jesus said in the end of time, the love of many shall wax cold. Do we not see that today? And, you know, our eyes are being drawn away from Christ to, like I said, these issues of selfishness. And men and husbands and fathers are caring more about themselves than for their wives and children. And women and wives and mothers are caring more about themselves than their husbands and children. And the children even, learning from such examples, you see, are raised to love themselves more than Christ who is professed in the home, but whose love is not practiced in the life. You see what I'm saying, friends? So when we look at organizations out there that profess to be a part of the remnant, that profess to be doing this, and we see the fallen condition they're in, at the very foundation of it is that those individuals are not having a right walk with the Lord. And so it's not rippling into their families that love, and there's not unity in the families, and that same ripple of disorganization is taken into the church. And that just opens the avenues up for the devil to come in and take over. I 
Let me share this with you. Again, from the Adventist home, page 179. Just to emphasize my point. The Adventist home, page 179. The cause of division and discord in families and in the church is separation from Christ. What is the cause of division and discord in families? What is the cause and division uh, and discord in the church? Separation from Christ. To come near to Christ is to come near to one another. The secret of true unity in the church and in the family. Do you want to know what the secret is? Friends? The secret of true unity in the church and in the family is not diplomacy. It's not management. In other words, friends, it's not, it's not even organization because there are organizations that are just evil, but they're organized. Remember, what was the key to organization? It's the love of God. And here she's saying the secret of unity. What is the secret? It's not diplomacy. It's not management. It's not a superhuman effort to overcome difficulties, though there will be much of this to do, she says. But the secret of true unity in the church and in the family, she says, is union with Christ. That's the secret. To be one with Christ. That's the secret of having unity, true unity, in the family, in the church. And so, so I emphasize it. Why is that love lacking in our families? Separation from Christ. And this union, beloved, is the most important thing to have. And as I've said before, you know, it's an individual work to have it with Christ. Like we studied before, this is the core of gospel order. Union with Christ. And this union is what all of us are to personally strive for and maintain each and every day. You see, because when you start to, you get that love of Christ in your heart, as Paul says, the love of Christ constraineth us. It pushes us, see? Each and every day. We need to start our day with that. Jesus prayed for this union. If I ever wanted somebody to pray for me, it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Jesus prayed for this union. In John 17, verse 23, He said, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. John 17, beautiful prayer of Christ, isn't it? For all of us, friends. He was praying for you and me. We weren't even a twinkle yet in our family lines. And Jesus was praying for us. I in them, he said. Let me share this with you from Upward Look, page 271. In order for us to bear the fruit that glorifies God, our hearts must be filled with the love of Christ. We must learn of Him, His meekness and lowliness. Then we shall not strive for self-exaltation. 
when men see more clearly the completeness of Christ's sacrifice and condescension, they will better understand what is comprehended by oneness with Him. Well, friends, when we see more clearly, she says, what Christ has done for us, what He sacrificed for us, what He condescended to do for us. When we see Jesus at the cross, we start to better understand and comprehend what oneness really is between man and God. Here's one from Councils for the Church, page 76. She says, The unity that exists between Christ and His disciples does not destroy the personality of either. They are one in purpose, in mind, in character, but not in person. That is what's so unique about God is created. How many people are on this planet right now? It's like getting close to 7 billion, I think, if not over. 7 billion individuals. Completely different. You know, may share certain attributes, but completely different. Look at it this way. Every one of them has different fingerprints, one from another. (laughs) God puts His fingerprint on us when we're born again. And as she says, what is this one oneness? Remember Jesus said, I in them and thou in me. What does He mean by that? This is what she says. We're one in purpose. I said, by the way, this is a great description of the uh, relationship between the Godhead. They're one in purpose, in mind, in character, but not in person. It is thus that God and Christ are one. Did you get that? How is God and Christ, how are they one? Remember Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And there's many misunderstandings about that. She says they're one in character. One in purpose, one in mind, but not in person. Very plain. And that's what it means to be one with Christ. And this we must have. We're going to be brought into gospel order. You see, friends, we are on a path to be, to be made perfect with Christ. And I'm speaking about character. And when Jesus comes, we'll have perfect bodies too. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? We're on a path to be made perfect with Christ. And what Jesus starts, He'll finish in you if you allow Him to. Amen? So I say let's start the walk and continue the walk to that oneness with Christ right now. Amen? Beloved, I've come to realize that when we get our personal life and our family life in this oneness with Christ, we're going to have order in our life individually and as a family and we will much better be able to restore true gospel order to the church. The statement, church duties should first begin in the home. Remember I read out of Adventist home, page 319? That's a powerful statement. And I think it's one we, we need to really contemplate and come to grips with. Church duties should first begin in the home. And this is what we're talking about here. Gospel order. And it begins in the home. And as I studied 
as I meditated and I prayed for understanding about this subject, the Lord helped me to see that each role in the family unit teaches us something about His ideal in the organization of the church. So I want to spend some time looking at the, the roles and the responsibilities of the family unit with the understanding that church duties should first begin at home. Now, this may be a difficult study for some. I mean, it is going to reveal some deficiencies in you know, some individuals in the family life. It might, it might even cause some hurt feelings or some bad memories to arise, but that's not its intent. And I want to encourage you to stand fast in Christ as He shares what needs to be shared to bring us closer to Himself and to each other, friends. Pray for courage. Pray for grace to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven us, friends. That will go a long way towards healing and have a, a healed heart. You see, beloved, if our eye is single to God's glory, we're going to rejoice in having such things revealed to us that would otherwise keep us from being with Christ and advancing the gospel to the world. And we want to share the truth with others, do we not? Do we not want our families to be in heaven, our children? our parents, our grandparents, our neighbors. Listen to this statement. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 430. Christian homes, established and conducted in accordance with God's plan, are among His most effective agencies for the formation of Christian character and for the advancement of His work. I hope you're beginning to see how important the family unit is and to be conducted in right lines in the spreading of the gospel. Christian homes established and conducted in accordance with God's plan are among his most effective agencies, not the only agency, but his most, one of his most effective agencies for the formation of Christian character and for the advancement of his work. Well, do you want a, a Christian character? Do you want to advance the Savior's work? Then we must establish and conduct our home in accordance to God's plan. And so we must always be open and honest with ourselves and be willing to change those things that keep us away from Christ. Thus each other and true unity and organization keeps us away from true gospel order. And so we want to know what God's plan is. Right? For a Christian home. We want to know what God's plan is. We want to know what those right lines are so that we can not only form a good Christian character, but we can advance His work. Amen? And so I'll be speaking to the men primarily in this study, but don't worry, ladies. <laughs> I'll, I'll, get to, I'll get to you soon. <laughs> these are principles that benefit... Actually, you know, when we study these principles, and, and there are for particular roles, the men's roles, the women's roles, even the children's role. And, and, but there, there are principles that all of us can learn from. And uh, and these are principles, like I said, that benefit all, but mainly what I'm sharing today is for the men. 
Right, because of, exactly. You see, that's part of the ripple too. So we talk here about the leader of the home uh, and find out the responsibilities, God's plan for the leader of the home. He can begin to make changes within his family and teach his children, etc. And there's that's a part of that ripple, you see, effect that, that uh, the truth of God will have on an individual and ripple out to those around. And so, brothers, we've been given... We've been given heavy responsibilities by our Lord. <laughs> I want you to remember that uh, we do have a role. And this is what we're going to talk about. And sometimes these responsibilities may seem too heavy for us. But I want you to take courage in that with these responsibilities comes the strength from Christ to do them. And when we are obedient in even the small things, brothers we'll be given more strength and grace for the bigger things. And this is what it means to grow in grace and, and stature as a Christian. Jesus said, remember, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark 9, verse 23. John fifteen five. he said, for without me ye can do nothing. And so, you know, these principles can be laid out and, and people can implement these principles without the love of God and it will bring some order to the family. But remember what we, we've been instructed in, what we've heard and we've, we just learned that uh, we learned in Sabbath school. If we don't have the love of Jesus in our heart, the work of a minister will fail. If we don't have the love of Jesus in our heart, the work of a Christian, professed Christian, will fail. So we're going to look at essentially seven principles and commands given to men and husbands and fathers for the order of the family. Now I say men, husbands, fathers as the principles for a husband can also cover you know, a male that's single at the moment. You know. uh, for example, let's look at 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. He's primarily speaking to husbands, but... But there are principles here for all of us men. In fact, 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 contains several principles uh, of responsibility for a Christian husband. And it teaches us something about men's role, uh, men's, a man's role in the church, in organization of the church as well. Peter says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them, and that's speaking about their wife. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, <clears throat> the first thing I want you to notice in this text is man's role of intelligent leadership. What was it that Peter said? He said, dwell with your wives according to what? Knowledge. Okay? I don't <laughs> dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Friends, brothers, that means we need to learn something about the female. Okay? <laughs> 
Females communicate in a different way than men. God has wired us differently. Okay? Our minds, though we both have minds, we both have brains, they are wired differently. The male's brain is wired differently. God created us that way. The female brain is wired differently, if I can use that as an example, uh, is wired differently. And this is something, geez, I could spend a couple of, well, can you let me, can you, this, my wife, see, now I, I'm dwelling with my wife according to knowledge right now, because <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's giving me some insight to share. <laughs> she's asking me a question. So, um. And I could spend several hours on this, and in fact, I'd like, I would like to put together maybe some kind of a seminar on, on marriage. And, and, because this, this primarily, friends, is not being taught uh, um, in the families. It's not being taught in the church, to our shame. And, and so, but, but one of the things, to dwell with our wife, men, according to knowledge, we need to understand our wife. Which means, physiologically, we need to understand the differences. Not just physically. But emotionally, we also need to understand, you know, how God has wired the woman. And that will help us in our communication. For example, men, we are wired by God, created by God, to stay on one task till it's done. We are kind of, we are linear thinkers. That's how we have been created. You see? Women are wired, this is how God has created them, more like the World Wide Web. Multitaskers. And God designed women this way and designed these differences to fulfill His plan. And we come together pretty well. God created the female for man to be one. Okay, And so when we begin to, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, I, I could spend hours on this, but uh, when we dwell with our wife according to knowledge, we learn these differences, learn how that communicates differently to us, we learn the language of the female, then there's going to be more unity and love in the home, I guarantee you. Now, what I see mainly in the world today with the men is, men, because we're linear thinkers, we think we understand exactly what our wife is telling us because subconsciously we think they're wired exactly like us. But they are not. Now, the same is true about the women. They need to understand how we, our mind works, in essence, how we're wired, and that will help them to understand how we communicate. And so this is something that, that uh, you know, I could spend, a, like I said, a lot of time on and getting into. <clears throat> uh, but this is something I'm going to encourage you, brothers, who are married, and even those who are not, to, to study. Um, there are some books out there, they're pretty good books, that give some good insight. Um, the Adventist Home is very good at talking about roles and stuff, and you'll notice I'll share a lot of that. But, uh, you know, the five love languages, that's a particularly good work there's um 
what is that book by? Is it Chapman? What he, what she wished he, whatever. I can't remember the titles of them now, but, um, but those are some good books. Now, I will caution you that when you you read these such books, compare them with the Word of God because there are some things that may not line up with God's Word. But uh, you'll gain some good principles out of that in understanding how men are different from women and being wired. And this goes, like I said, along with uh, man is to have an intelligent uh, leadership in the home. In order to do that, we must dwell, as Peter says, with your wife according to knowledge. And what this really means, friends, is that that every husband is responsible before God for what his home becomes. So brothers, you can't complain to God about your home life because it's what you've made it. Either by inaction or overaction. Okay? Whatever your attitude may be. Don't say my home life is terrible because of my wife, blah, blah, blah. You're the, the leader of the home. You're to lead according to intelligence yeah Gary Smalley if only he knew that was the name of the book it's really it's a very it's a it's a very good book in explaining the differences between men and women how they're wired how they communicate Um, but like I said compare all things to inspired writings the 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 Bible okay Gary Smalley is if only he knew that's the book and Chapman is the five love languages, and there's a few others. Um, you can go to the library, you know, go to a Christian bookstore, and you'll you'll see some things. But always compare it to the Word of God, and uh, sometime I'll be able. I'm, I've hoped for a while to put together maybe a little uh, seminar of meetings to to discuss. Um, you know, if you're planning on getting married, you know, things you need to understand. Those who are married are having difficulties, you know, helping that out how to to have God's plan in your in your marriage, essentially. So I want to share that with you. And that's a part of of the husband being uh having the role of an intelligent leader in his home. And so like I said, what what uh, Peter's telling us here is essentially, you know the old saying is uh, you made your bed now sleep in it, right? So brethren, you're to be the leader of the home and your family We'll follow your lead. You'll have that influence. And so long as your leadership is after the example of Christ, the family will follow after Christ. Now, they may take diff- uh, make different decisions after leaving your home. But they're not under your leadership any longer when they leave your home. You still will have an influence on it. But once they leave your home, you know, it's between them and God. Completely. Also, let me say this. I know there are single parent homes and such, and uh, you know one must do what they can by God's grace. And, and I'm not really addressing that kind of a situation here. Uh, I'm speaking primarily about a professed Christian home with a husband and wife. God's plan, God's ideal. And we're looking at principles of, of gospel order in relation to a man's role in the home and thus in the church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, he said, The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so, 
want you to please notice that among all the levels of authority in the universe, God has set man in the place of leadership over his own home and family. And so, you see, the husband is to be the leader of the home. God never assigned the wife to be the head of the home. Woman was not made for that role. And I will tell you, just from experience and observation, neither do the majority of women really desire to be the leader of the home. Many of the problems that exist in families fall upon the head of the household, beloved. And far too many husbands refuse to assume the responsibilities in the family. And what happens is that that attitude ripples throughout the church. Wives do not necessarily seek for the position, but it's forced on them through the default of the husband to be the leader. And as sad as it is, we must face the fact that men are not taught to be men in much of society today. I'm going to tell you that. Many men grow up and get married, but they're nothing more than little boys looking for mothers rather than wives. And unless the man is willing to exert his Christian leadership under God, his wife will be forced into essentially an artificial and often unwilling role for which she's not fitted correctly to fulfill. She wasn't designed and created that way. That's a fact. I'll tell you, in such a family condition is out of God's order. And it's eventually, what's going to happen? You're going to see it in the church. In fact, you do. It's seen in the church today as leadership roles have been blurred to include the ordination of women as pastors and elders. Now, I'm sure that statement will be challenged by those who subscribe to the modern feminist movement and their ideas of equality between the sexes. But their dedication to equating the roles and, and responsibilities of men and women completely, friends, reverses the order set up by the one who created male and female in the beginning. And this will become clear when we look at the women's responsibility in the home and thus in the church. We see the differences, how God designed it. You know, a mistake made, a mistake made by many men is to assume only a partial or a lopsided leadership in the family. You know what I mean by that, don't you? They can take very seriously the responsibility to make a living and be the breadwinner, but they casually cast all the rest of the home operations on the wife. She's left with the final word about, oh, spiritual training of the children, about establishing guidelines of discipline and disciplining uh, her own inclinations about family order, etc. That's a cop-out for any husband and an absolute rejection of his primary position of authority within the family. So brothers, take note. God holds you responsible for your family and you will give an account to Him if it is disordered. Now, does this responsibility the husband assume that he can lord it over his wife and treat her as an object of possession or as an inferior? Absolutely not. That's not God's plan. 
In fact, Peter's statement in chapter 3, verse 7, referred to it as giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. In fact, the entire biblical record is clear. It's harmonious on this issue, friends. Let's go to our scripture reading for today. Ephesians chapter 5. And I can tell I'm not going to get through this whole study today. But it's better to understand than to push through everything, isn't it? Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. (laughs) Right there. Husbands, love your wives, even as... Remember what I talked about when I shared the Scripture reading? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Why did he do that? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. One of the first things I want to tell you about this, brothers, you men, is that this is not a suggestion from the Lord, but this is a command from the Lord. The husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. That's a command. The creator of the female mind, you see, he knew that she needed to feel loved and wanted more than anything else. God made the woman with a nature that required the expression of love much more than the man. That's why man can go out on a hunt and he can bring back a dead Bambi. And the wife can't do that. Necessarily. I know some can. That's part of that linear thinking too, see. Ladies are are wired to be much more emotional than the men. That doesn't mean that men don't have emotions. But the Creator knew that the female needed to be loved and wanted more than anything else. He wired her that way. In the Garden of Eden, the Creator indicated to the woman that her need for love could be satisfied most fully from her own husband. He said in Genesis 3.16, He said, Your desire shall be unto your husband. What does that mean? Well, because of the the, uh, sensitive romantic nature with which God endowed the woman, her need for love and security are much stronger than the man's need. And so I I can tell you that And I've heard this expressed by ladies over the years, over and over. A woman's self-esteem is vital to her happiness. And this largely depends upon the way her husband treats her. The man gets his self-esteem, you see, by being respected. That's why the woman is commanded to revere, to reverence her husband. 
That's where he gets his self, self-esteem. But the woman gets hers from being loved in all aspects. A man's contentment and security can be based on success in what he does for a living, let's say. Or you know, maybe he reaches some uh, financial goal or something like that. But the wife has only one source of self-esteem and security, friends. She only has one. God designed it that way. Think about it. My wife, for example, let's say she can cook a tremendous dinner, and she does. But it's gone in an hour. (laughs) And the family may not even think, you know, thank her for doing it. Her best performance of household duties are not recognized or respected by the community, as maybe mine are. You see, she depends entirely upon me to provide that sense of fulfillment, confidence, and well-being. Her desire is on her husband, you see. And this is the sense in which Peter speaks of the wife as the weaker vessel. The husband's love is a necessity for her to function as a complete person. And he must accept it as his divine duty to make her feel loved and honored under all circumstances. Brothers, this is why God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. So the two could become one in a relationship founded upon love. A love that fulfills each according to their need. You see? It's for the best happiness of each. And it teaches us more about God. It's our example for happiness together as a family based upon the love of God. What marriage is. And the Bible requires the quality of that love to be the same as Christ's love for the church. Guys, are you getting it? (laughs) We're not lords over our wives. The Lord is over us. (laughs) So we are commanded to love our wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it qualified and so like I said it's, it's a requirement the quality of that love to be the same as Christ's love for the church and equal to loving his own body and a husband's love for his wife must not be conditional the command is husbands love your wives not necessarily because they uh, are lovable or even when They are lovable only when they're lovable. So I've told, you know, there'll be instances as you're learning about each other and growing together. Our oldest son just got married, you know, a little over a month ago. They're going to learn about each other. There'll be some tough spots. But no matter what my wife has done to me, I've never stopped loving her. I may not like what she's done to me, and I've expressed that. But that hasn't damaged my love for her in any way. Colossians 3 verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. When the husband's critical or or sarcastic or scornful towards his wife, he's attacking and destroying the very emotional foundation of her life. 
Nothing will disintegrate a marriage relationship more quickly. Let me tell you this. And bring disunity to the family, and thus the church, than disobeying the command to love your wife. Brethren, count on it. This is why Satan, I tell you, this is why Satan attacks the seventh commandment so vigorously as he knows that to destroy the bond between a husband and wife will destroy the unity of the church. This is why Satan attacks pastors and ministers. Because if he can get them to disobey, to commit adultery, he's won a tremendous victory. In fact, gentlemen, it is because we have failed as a whole to love our wives as Christ loved the church that we've seen the demise of the family unit and the spawning of the feminist and gay movements. That's a fact, men. Our disobedience to this command has caused wives to seek esteem from other sources. And you know what? They found it. And they found it in exchanging their God-given roles for that of the roles of men. And men have also become more effeminate because of this role reversal in society. And sin breeds sin, and we see what we have today. You see, women are driven to frustration by the husband's lack of tender and romantic attentions. Because they yearn to be the special sweethearts, you see. To be loved and appreciated tenderly. Right? <laughs> poll after poll, you look at the you know, studies, poll after poll has shown that one of the wife's greatest sources of material, excuse me, marital depression is a lack of romantic love. They can have all the material things in the world but their real need is to be loved. And this includes the physical aspect too, gentlemen. If possible. You know. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Paul said, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. You know, this verse states the duty of husband and wife toward each other in the matter of, let's say, conjugal rights. Right, affection. You know, not just sex, guys, but true affection. See? Each though, is bound to the other for life and in every possible way. Each just show kindness and consideration for the other. Now, Paul was dealing with some terrible situations of sexual perversity and misunderstandings of the marriage relation there at Corinth. And so, you know, his counsel was necessary because some Christians believe that there was special virtue in a husband and wife living separately from each other, which at once denied them the legitimate privilege of, you know, that marriage condition. And what it did was it exposed them to the t- uh, to temptation, uh, to immorality, 
outside the bonds of the marriage vow. So, Paul wasn't downplaying the institution of marriage, friends, far from it. He was endorsing its virtues and responsibilities. Some husbands and wives say they no longer love their spouse, and so they divorce or live in a disorderly home. I spoke to an old classmate who divorced. He shared with me that his wife just came home one day and said she wanted something different. Her love for him had grown cold, she said. Now, I would tell you, as an armchair quarterback, and listening to him um, explain things, that one of the biggest issues in that family that he was completely unaware of, and you find it all today, he didn't understand his wife's language. He didn't understand how she's wired. And I'm pretty sure she didn't understand how he was wired. This is one of the biggest causes, friends, in division in a, in a marriage. But what happens if this is the case? If you feel like your love's grown cold, is there no hope for a person who's lost their love for their spouse? Yes, there is hope. But that hope lies in Christ. Jesus is in the business of changing hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, friends. Remember what we read earlier. The cause of division and discord in families and in the church is separation from Christ. If you've lost your first love, Jesus can give it to you once again, but you must give Him permission and you must completely abide by His principles as a husband or wife. You must take your eyes off of yourself, friends, and put them squarely on Jesus. Amen? I mean, love grows cold for many reasons. It takes two to tango. But if one partner loves Christ with their entire heart and begins to live completely for Him, their life will be a sanctifying influence upon their partner. And you will be amazed how love will begin to burn in your heart again and theirs too. I've seen it happen. Paul said so. 1 Corinthians 7.14 For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. If a husband begins to love and treat his wife as the Lord commands, there will be such a revival of love between them. They may have never experienced it before. And if the wife reverences her husband, you'll be amazed at the change that will be seen in his attraction for her. The key is to give yourself to Christ. And do that which He has commanded you to do. He'll take care of the rest. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. But it will happen as long as both are willing to be together and to do the Lord's will. The supreme test of love, my friends, is whether it is prepared to forego happiness in order that the other might have it. (laughs) Isn't that true? So in this respect, the husband is to imitate Christ, giving up personal pleasures and comforts to obtain his wife's happiness. I think we'll stop there. Now, speaking about that, you husbands, you you must love as Christ loved. I want to emphasize that. 
and not be overzealous towards your wife, as that would be extreme and cause some serious problems too. But Christ gave himself for the church because it was in desperate need. He did it to save the church. So likewise, the husband will give himself for the salvation of his wife. You see. And we'll get into that a little bit more next time we get together. I hope this has been a blessing for you and I I encourage you to continue to study this for yourself, friends. Study it out. Compare Scripture with Scripture. If you get, you know, those books that uh, get any uh, books uh, like what I mentioned, you know, compare them to the Word of God. Always go by the Word of God, friends. But there's some good insight in these books and such. I know that they've helped me. They've helped my wife. I've seen them help others as well. I hope this has been a blessing to you and I hope you're beginning to see uh, by understanding the roles that we have in the family we can implement God's plan more effectively, bring our families into order, and thus order into the church. And when the church is in order and in unity, friends, we will finish this work and go home. We will save souls and Jesus will return. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much uh, for your holy word. We thank you so much that you are a God of order and not disorder. We thank you so very much that you're teaching us these principles and that we can understand them and that you aid us by grace to implement them. And friends, there is happiness and joy in doing your will. Please be with those who have heard, uh, who've heard me today. Please be near to them. Help them to have understanding and wisdom that we may have ordered homes and bring glory to thy name. Please continue to bless us this Sabbath day and the coming days ahead till we can meet again, Lord. Bless each one with protection from heavenly angels and with knowledge, especially as I've been speaking to the the men. Be very near to them. Give them understanding as they study, as they come to to learn their, you know, a woman's language, that they may understand it and that they may Experience the joy that you have for them in their marriage. Thank you so much for Jesus and for hearing this prayer and answering it as I pray it in his name. Amen.